part two of, of Neighbors, um, which we thought was just going to be the most friendly series that you ever had. But, but I, you know, I think sometimes when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's difficult. And so I don't know if you've ever been convicted strongly by the Holy Spirit. I have. And, and sometimes I tell Jamie to stop. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's like, oh, wait, that's God. Lord, you're trying you're trying to get my attention. Pastor Steve, that's enough now. Stop infringing on my, on, my, on my life. Oh, wait, Holy Spirit, you're trying to... Do you know how the Holy Spirit speaks to us? He speaks to us through pastors and leaders. He speaks to us through mentors. He speaks to us through our family. He speaks to us through his word. And all of those voices have to line up with this voice that is the word. And when that congruency happens... There is true power, and there's true authority. I want you to go in your Bibles to Romans, Romans chapter 13. Family talk in Romans chapter 13, and I won't stay in the chair long. You know that. So it's just, just you know, it's just kind of like just, just slow it down a little bit. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. People are like, I'm scared. I'm going to fall asleep. Don't you worry. I got you. I got you. <laughs> Romans chapter 13, verse 8. It says, let no debt remain outstanding except for the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up. Everybody know what sum means, the sum to, the, 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 the completion. Summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Can we pray for a minute? Holy Spirit, we ask that in all our gatherings today, that you would invade our thinking, our thought patterns Lord, even areas that we have been stuck on or settled in, I pray that you would disrupt it all so that we could land firmly on the word of God. Lord, I pray that my opinions, Lord, would fall to the wayside. I pray that our own opinions would fall to the wayside. And I ask for your word to speak straight to our hearts and to direct our lives. We love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Verse 8, it says this. It says, let no debt remain outstanding. I think this is interesting, the way that the writer of Romans positions this command to love our neighbor. He says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, which means this, we actually owe each other our love. We, we actually, have you ever asked this? Just, just think about it. Have you ever asked this? Well, I don't think they deserve my love. I don't think they deserve my forgiveness. I don't think they deserve, that, well, I'll forgive them, but I'm not going to love them. I don't think, this says that there is only one outstanding debt that we have, and that debt is to love one another. That we actually have, an, we, we, we have a requirement or an indebtedness to each other to love completely. We owe it to others to love them. 
Entitlement says I only give love to those who deserve it. The Bible, the gospel, says I'm indebted to love everyone. Everyone. Do you ever think about who everyone is? You ever think about who your neighbor is? We learned about this last week, is that the, the, the rich or the, the expert in the law came to Jesus and he asked, who, who is my neighbor? If you have to ask who your neighbor is, that means that you're trying to get around someone who you don't want to be your neighbor. Because if you just believe that everyone's your neighbor, you would never ask for God to specify, Jesus to specify, who is my neighbor? But he asked this, he asked, who is my neighbor? Did you know that we on the earth are Christ's representatives? So that when, when the world looks at us, they should see Jesus? When they look at us, it should be the closest thing to Christ that they ever see? When, when I was growing up, my brother and I, uh, we, we had a mirror. I got a mirror up here. Um, we had a mirror. It was a full-length mirror, and I loved the mirror that we had, and I'll tell you why. Uh, I, in that mirror, I looked way more built than I actually was. It was just something about it. You know those mirrors, you know the cheap ones? It's got a little bend to it. It's like, I'm looking at that mirror, and I'm thinking, you're doing all right. You, that work is paying off. You are doing all right. Now, my sisters hated it. Because it made them look built as well. And they didn't appreciate the beauty of my mirror. But I wasn't getting rid of that mirror for anything. Because that mirror made me feel good. I mean, before I went out, I look in that mirror, I'm thinking, you're doing all right. Keep up the good work. One more day. A mirror, it shows you who you are. It's a reflection. Did you know when the world looks at us, they shouldn't see us. They should see a reflection of who Jesus is. That's what they should see. When they see us work, when they see us talk. And some people got really riled last week because I talked about social media. And so you probably came in hopes that I wouldn't talk about it again. And you're wrong. Because social media is the vehicle in which we communicate. James 3 says to guard our tongue. Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue. And some of us think that if we don't say it, then we actually didn't say it. But if you type it, it's the same as saying it. So... I know you're doing all right, so I'm not going to put this on you. I'm just going to say for me, when I post something, am I a representation of Jesus? Am I? Do I look like him? I wonder how, I wonder how long it's been since we just looked in the mirror. To just say, how do I look? Do I look like him? Do I? This is, this is a nice mirror right here. Someone's makeup's on it right there. But uh, this, is, this is really important that my reflection reflects not me and not my past and not my pain 
or not my lack of trust or not my fears, but I reflect who Jesus is. That's what Christian means. It means little Christ. It means that we would reflect him, that when people see me, they would see him. They would know what a Christian is by seeing me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 in, in, in the message translation, it's a paraphrase translation, it says this, we are Christ's representatives. God uses us. This is so powerful. God uses us to persuade men and women. And somebody got excited right there. It's like, that's what I've been trying to do. Persuade. This is what we're supposed to persuade them of. To drop their differences. And enter into God's work. The work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. Did you know what our argument is? The argument is to bring people in reconciliation with Jesus. It's to be his picture. It's to be his representation. It's to be his reflection in the world. And the reason that we would argue is not to prove a point, but to bring people into reconciliation. I'll finish before you leave, before you write me off. I know some of you, you're called to, 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 to evangelize. And I'm just going to tell you, what if we took our evangelistic passion? I said this last week. I'm actually saying it again, and I know that I am. What if we took this evangelistic passion and we put it into reconciling our brothers to one another and to God? We would see revival. Did you know that the answer to sin in our world is the love of Jesus filling their heart? Did you know the answer to racism is the love of Jesus filling our heart? Did you know the, the answer to police brutality is the love of Jesus filling our heart? Did you know the answer in the government is the love of Jesus filling our heart? Did you know the answer to crime is the love of Jesus filling our heart? Did you know the answer to abortion is the love of Jesus filling our heart? This is, this is it, that we would become the representation, the reflection of Jesus. This is not what I am. This is what I aim to be. And this aim requires me as your pastor to be teachable and to be broken and to be moldable. And I've had people say, well, Pastor, I just want to make sure that you're... Stop it. Stop. You don't got to worry about me. You got to worry about you. And you got to worry about what comes out of my mouth comes from this word. You don't need to worry about where I sway and where I lean. What you need to know, and this would help you as well, to be grounded in the word of God and to let that passion for his word then fuel your decisions and your values. That would be different for all people, but that's where it starts. The common ground is the gospel. The common ground is the cross. It says in verse 9, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, and it goes through the laws. And it says, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love your neighbor as yourself. And so I started to think about this because we talked about this already. But, but really, who, who, is our, who is our neighbor? In our illustration last week about the Good Samaritan, Jesus, in the words of Jesus, he says, the neighbor is the one who has shown mercy. So that's who Jesus said. He said, the neighbor is the one who has shown mercy. If you actually look it up in the context, a neighbor is anyone that you would have interaction with. Anyone that you would have interaction with. This becomes your neighbor. Now, I want you to know this, and I want to clarify this. When we say as a church, black lives matter, we do that and say that because we believe that black lives matter. That's why we say that. Now, I know many people are concerned with the movement. Black lives matter, and they've confused morals with justice. And you have to be careful not to associate Words, because this is where we are in a politically charged culture, is that we listen to what people say and we move them into circles. That whatever you say now puts you into an association. And I would like to remind you that the body of Christ is supposed to be the ecclesia, ecclesia is supposed to be called out ones. That the gospel necessitates us not to lean or not to be associated, but in fact, to come out and to be separate. We believe in the family. As if there was ever any confusion, we believe in marriage between a man and a woman. We believe in the family and the power of the family to save our nation. I believe that it's the family. I believe it's the church that is going to turn the tide of America. I believe it starts in our children and the next generation in raising them right. We believe in the family. We believe in the values of the word of God and we will not stray. We also believe and honor our government. Okay. Now we got to go to work. Y'all ready? Now we got to go to work. That was fun. I'm going to help you. Can you put it up on the screen for me? I'm going to help you. All right? Everybody, you got your thinking caps. Everybody's, their hearts are open. We're ready. This is what our world has aimed to do, is I'm going to push you into a circle. So you stand for your black brother. And we could just change the words if you want, because some of you are like a little bit stuck on that. So just black lives absolutely matter. Y'all good with that? That's not a hashtag. That means that we believe like Jesus believed. Everybody good with like Jesus believed. But when you say that, you get pushed. When I said it, I got pushed. When you say that you support police, You get pushed. Did you know what the gospel does? The gospel pushes back. Now hold on before you clap too much. Because some of you believe you know where the gospel's at. Oh yeah. 
Me and Jesus, he ain't over there. Me and Jesus, he ain't over there. The gospel is the single most aggressive, dividing. I thought the cross came to unite. It did, but it came to push us out of circles. I know some of you right now, you're like, are you talking about political parties? I'm talking about whatever circle you think you're in that you're so comfortable in that you think Jesus is there with you. I'm going to propose to you that he's not. I am going to propose to you that the cross of Jesus Christ was the bridge for all mankind to unite any divided heart and any divided soul so that we could come together in unity and the church of Jesus Christ could be the reflection of Jesus. And we thought... We thought this would save us. And we thought this would save us. No. It's still the cross. It's still the gospel. This is what will save us. It's love, friends. It's sacrifice, friends. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's the glorious, beautiful, divisive, dangerous gospel. It's like, man, Pastor, you're emotional about it. It's so heavy because the church of Jesus Christ is being divided about where we think Jesus would be. Jesus would be standing next to good hearted policemen who serve. And protect this country. And Jesus would be kneeling down next to black men and women who've been abused and have suffered injustice. Jesus is found where pain is. And wherever the problem with our culture is when once we pick up the cause of another, we will stand against racism. It also alienates us from another side. And I, I, this is something that I struggle with so much. It, it infuriates me that to stand, and people have questioned this about me personally, to stand against racism now means that I am in a circle. Could I please, could I ask you? I should go back to my chair for this one. Don't label me. Don't label your brothers or your sisters. Go back to this cross. So who is my neighbor? Police are my neighbor. Our president is my neighbor. Still let that was said. Did he forget his words? <laughs> your parents, or your neighbors, your kids, are your neighbors. Your actual neighbors are your neighbors. <laughs> your friends are your neighbors, and your enemies 
are your neighbors. The defenseless are my neighbors, and the defenders are my neighbors. The oppressor is my neighbor, and the victim is my neighbor. And don't you dare let the fear of this culture try to push you into a circle and silence the gospel of Jesus Christ. Break out of every circle. Break out of every stereotype. Break out of every boundary. Break out of every wall. I stand with the kingdom of God. I stand with kingdom culture. I stand on his word. I stand with the divisive gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to get back to the, to the gospel. To the gospel. Love pulls you to the center. Verse 10 says, love does no harm to a neighbor. See, if I love one, then I have to, I have to defeat another. But that's not the gospel love. The gospel love is I love one and I love the other. I don't love the one who's being oppressed and hate the one who has oppressed, the gospel actually is for the oppressor as well. It says in verse 10, it says, love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. What does that mean? In, in, in the Old Testament, there was over 600 laws that you would have to abide by. Some they would call heavy and some they would call light, but over 600 things that you had to abide by. So when the expert in the law came to Jesus and he said, which ones are most important? Because there was a belief among religious leaders that if they, if they followed through on the most important, the heavy laws, then they would get a pass on the lighter laws. So that if they were faithful with the Sabbath, then they would get a pass on a lighter law. So when they came to Jesus and they asked, what, what, what really matters? He says, the law is all summed up in this. It's, it's, it's it. It's everything. Because if I really love, I don't have to worry about adultery. And if I really love, I don't got to worry about murder. If I really all the laws were put in place for a religious old covenant people. But when Jesus came on the scene and he brought relationship and he introduced this glorious gospel, he said all of the law now rests on this. Love your neighbor as yourself. We read in Luke last week in Matthew chapter 22. It says this, verse 34, this is the same text in the book of Matthew. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest command? Which one's heaviest in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And all the 600 laws and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So for some of you that are saying, well, what about? No, no. It's love first. It's, it's love, love first. Well, I can't let that slide. No. It all hangs on love. And if your instruction 
that you feel so led to give is without love, 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about what that would sound like. He says, it's like a clanging gong. It's noise if it is void of love. This is a command to love. So this is good news. Whenever God gives us a command, it is also with the ability to fulfill the command. Because God would never ask us to do something that we weren't able to fulfill. He would never set us up for failure. So by nature, the fact that God said, love your neighbor, means that God's also gifted us with the ability to love our neighbor. So I want to give you some things as we begin to wind down. I want to give you some very practical things on what love does. Love leans in. If you really love someone, you will lean into their world and into their circle and into their space. You will le- it looks like conversations. Did you know that sometimes people hear something that startles them and the first thing they do is No, no. Did you if you're if you're hoping to have a marriage, will you never have a discussion? That's what we call arguments, right? You're never going to have a discussion. You are living in a fantasy world. And if you really love each other, it is going to require you to lean. At the first point of disagreement, up, oh, she's lost it. I'm out of here. Whoa. Where is the love? If you're committed to a church and the first thing that ruffles your feathers and you're up, oh, where is the love? Years. You've sown years, you've given, and it's reciprocal. And the first thing that, oh, he's in a circle. Where's the love? Can I ask that for myself? Where's the love? Lean in. Have uncomfortable conversations. When you feel distant, don't run. When you feel distant, press in. If you feel distance in your marriage, press in. If you feel distance with your pastor, press in. If you feel distance with your children, press in. If, if you feel distance with God, press in. Love leans in. Love learns from others. That's what love does. Love, because we have a debt to love, it puts me out of my place of entitlement. Because the, what, what prevents me from learning from you is thinking that I already know. And love does not assume that you know nothing and I know everything. Love does not wait till you get done talking so that I can debunk your theory or your stance. Love doesn't wait till you get done posting so that I can move you out of the circle with the new article that I found. getting hot in here. Love learns. It learns. It learns from each other. Do you know the best people to learn from? People you actually know. You're willing to risk your reputation on a post from someone you've never met? I I would try, if it was me, to just have some conversation and learn well, I've been following them. For, you've been following them? On social media? And you know their heart? I, I could have another Twitter account named Gary. 
and you could be in love with me. And you can love everything that I post, but it doesn't mean it's me. It's, my, it's what I want Gary to be. But if you sit down with me and, and talk, if you sit down with each other, talk. If you have conversation and you're not so hell-bent on your circle, we could actually learn. Because you know what? I think it's sad that specific things get caught up in specific movements. I think if you're a Democrat, it's really sad that Republicans have abortion. And that they choose, for they, they want women to have the opportunity to choose. If you're a Republican, I think it's really sad that Democrats fight racism. So who said that they get it? Is it? Well, am I can? Wasn't it this first? I understand you got to make decisions and you have value. I get it. I get it. I get it. And we have to stand. And the power that you have is the power with your vote. I get it all. I'm just, I'm not even telling you which way to go. I'm telling you don't camp out in one at the expense of another. Because if there's a value on this side that Jesus' heart breaks for, you better latch on to the value. If there's a value on this side, that Jesus' heartbreak, why does it have to be a Republican or Democrat thing? I'd like to declare it's a Jesus thing. I'd like to declare it's a gospel thing. I'd like to declare that the church of Jesus Christ actually believes what we read and actually believes what we say, and we're going to create our own movement, a Jesus movement, a gospel movement. Love learns from others. Teachability is a posture that starts with the mindset that I could be wrong. That'll help your marriage. No amens, please. It starts with the mindset that I could be possibly wrong. The last one. This is my prayer. Love leads the world. Love leads the world. I think it will. I think it has. And I think it will again. Two nights ago, lay in my bed, it's about 3 a.m. I wake up and I had the funniest picture come to my mind. 3 a.m., I want to sleep. And I had this picture. You can throw that picture up on the, the screen for a second. Some of you can remember. Anybody remember what that is? Come on, can you guys see this? Anybody remember that is? That's an overhead projector. Back in the day in church, we didn't have LED walls and fancy projectors. You had a little guy that would sit right here and would slide the words on the overhead projector. And they didn't usually have a screen, at least not in our church. You just had it on the wall, sometimes the ceiling. And you could, worthy is a lamb. And if you got distracted, like this kid up here just got distracted, Sometimes he'd be behind on the words, and you'd be like, we're, we're, we're worthy, we're, like, and then, he, you know, then he'd catch up. I was this guy. I loved this seat, because I would watch everybody. I'd be like, oh, but sometimes I would forget, you know, I wouldn't move it fast enough. So it would, whatever you, they would call what goes on the overhead projector transparencies. Remember those? Transparencies. My dad, he's got really good handwriting. He used to write out the trans, before we could print on him, he used to handwrite the songs 
on this old school. Some of, some of you young people are like, wait, what? Handwriting? My gosh. Yeah, we used to write. It's crazy. What about Siri? We actually wrote. And, and, and my dad would write out the, the songs before the service. And then Sunday morning, my job was to get up there and I would put the transparency on the overhead projector. And the way it works is that there is a mirror on the top of this overhead projector. And whatever is on the transparency is what is projected onto the wall. If there's nothing on the transparency, nothing's projected on the wall. But whatever's written on the transparency is seen on the wall. It's projected. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, Dustin, our problem right now is that everything that the world is seeing is projection, not reflection. They don't see light. They see our agenda written on the... See, it's supposed to be transparent. It's a transparency. So it should be, it should just be able to show light. And for our human souls, we should be beacons of light. But each of us have written our own stories, our own agendas, our own hurt, our own fear, our own pain. And instead of being a reflection of Jesus, we're a projection of our circle. We project agendas. We project shame. And we project, we assume what others believe and where they stand because of what they said or what they post or what they didn't post. And we shame others for speaking up or for not speaking up. For We have no idea what's happening in their life because we haven't loved them enough to lean in but we projected something on them and on the world because instead of being transparent, we have decided to write our own words to the light of the gospel. And I think that it's time. And this was my job. After the service, I would get the transparencies. And I'd go back in the back room and I had to wash them all. You had to clean all the... Tra- now, if you didn't wash all the words off, It'd be really hard to sing the new song on the old. It just gets messy. Kind of like our culture right now. It's just messy. So-and-so says this, and they're a Christian. So-and-so says this, and they're a Christian. Where, where are we? What do we believe? Who are we? What do we do? I'm going to Thailand. Like, what are, what's happening? It's, we failed to be transparent. The gospel doesn't need defending. It needs to be released not as a projection as a reflection because if I actually am an ambassador of the gospel I just have to be like him I just gotta look like him I gotta respond like him I gotta I, gotta, I had opportunities this week to respond like Jesus did I want to? no I wanted to I wanted to Project that. There's a scripture that says, the love of Christ restrains me. 
Let me give you another one. John 13, 34 and 35. It says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, by what? By what? By how we love, not Jesus, how we love each other. You will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. This is how we know. This is how we know if we're Christians. Well, I don't know. Stop. Lean in. This is what Jesus said. This is in red. This is his word. It's probably old covenant. Jesus said it. It's probably if Paul Paul didn't say it. Jesus said it. It is in red. This is the way that you will know that you are my disciples if, 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 if you love one another, the oppressed and the oppressor, the one who deserves it, Actually, I think what we read is that everyone deserves it. Because when we received our love from Jesus, when we didn't deserve it, we became indebted not to him. But he said, the debt that you now must fulfill is the debt to love one another. That's it. That's it. It's not political. Somebody said that last week. It's political. God bless you. But can you lean in? Can we not post anything else that says anything? No. Let Let me clarify. I'd love for you to post. I post all the time. Can you do this first? That's the only thing I'm asking. Use your voice, use your platform, use your influence, but just do this first. Get a good mirror, make you look nice. That looks like Jesus. And when you feel content that your words and your actions and your marriage and your parenting and your faith, your Christianity, your posts, your conversations, they look like Jesus, then go do it with a pure heart and let the love of God prove itself to you. And this is what I would propose to you for everyone that's afraid to actually love first, for everyone that's in fear of loving first. Try it and let God work. The love of Jesus can melt the hardest of heart. The love of Jesus can turn the hardest of situations. The love of Jesus can break through people that you never thought would be, he would be able to break through. And who knows, maybe God actually still is in control. Maybe he still knows what he's doing. He did all right in the book of Acts. He did all right with the early church. He did all right in the past. And maybe, just maybe, he knows what he's doing Right now, Martin Luther King Jr., he said this. A lot of people quoting him right now. And using as a guise to be violent or to do different things. But if you study Martin Luther King Jr., is that he was an advocate for love. In fact, his words said, and the other thing is I'm concerned 
about a better world. I'm concerned about justice. I'm concerned about brotherhood. I'm concerned about truth. And when one is concerned about that, he can never advocate violence. For through violence you may murder a murderer, but you can't murder murder. Through violence you may murder a liar, you can't establish truth. Through violence you may murder a hater, but you can't murder hate through violence. Darkness cannot put out darkness. Only light can do that. And I say to you, I've also decided to stick with love. For I know that love is ultimately the only answer to mankind's problems. And I'm going to talk about it everywhere I go. I know it isn't popular to talk about it in some circles today. And I'm not talking about emotional bosh when I talk about love. I'm talking about a strong, demanding love. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated when he was 39 years old. I'm 39. So that means everything that we quote and everything that he, that we post, he said before he was my age. So before you negate a message again, before you write off a message as a young man or a young person, I beg you, I beg you from the bottom of my heart to reconcile your heart with the gospel of Jesus that moves us out of every divisive place and circle and centers us on the greatest example of love that we have ever seen. It was a love that he was stretched out on and he gave his life and as he gave it, he uttered the words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do.